Oh, uh, excuse me. Sorry, I was just watching Max Scherzer get out of a eighth inning ALDS jam with uh, the bases loaded and nobody out. Ah, <sighs> good times. All right, welcome in to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, is a man who doesn't need Meg Ryan in order to be sleepless in Seattle. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? <laughs> Doing all right, Karen. Doing okay. The season's over. We made it. That's crazy. Um, Long would be a short way of describing this season for the Tigers. Uh, A lot of rehashing over the past week. We did that last week on the pod, and and you were, as referenced, uh, just in Seattle for the final go for this iteration of the Detroit Tigers. There was some... uh, some little rookie shenanigans or less than two-year service time shenanigans, if you want to be uh, more accurate with it, and some some games that were kind of the epitome of the season. So how was how was Seattle? You said you'd never been there before. It was obviously two franchises that at one point weren't too far apart, and uh, and now they are. So how, how was your experience uh, closing out the year in Seattle? Yeah, it was it was fun trip to go on uh the schedule you know didn't explore the town a ton a ton saw friends who lives there did a little bit but we had a a day game a double header and um it was mostly just baseball but that was probably the best part i think that was the best environment i've been in all year was watching those mariners fans you could tell they are in love with their team and hyped up and it was a great baseball environment they were loud those games didn't really mean much, if anything, to them, but they they still had some wild finishes, and the fans showed up and showed out. So it was it was cool just to be there for that. Was it cool to possibly see Gregory Soto in his last outing as a Tiger? Where else is he going? Uh, whoever will take him. I don't sure, know. Yeah, you trade him. <laughs> Who's trading for that, man? <laughs> um, I half jokingly say that because uh soto was one of the first people as we've heard scott harris attack the strike zone he's a guy who has an on again off again uh relationship with the strike zone as exciting as he is as much as the pedigree of back-to-back all-star is he's one of the guys that we're gonna have to kind of keep track of and we'll we're gonna be talking about those guys throughout the offseason I mean, talk about the epitome of the 2022 season. The guy who wouldn't talk to me for a couple months because I said he's, quote, not the best at PFP, spiked the hell out of the throw (laughs) to second base to contribute to losing the final game of the season. Amazing. (laughs) We haven't talked. The Tigers got beat by a catcher. They got beat by a catcher in extra innings. It doesn't get more fitting than that. No arguments here. No arguments here, Cody. Um, And... Like a perfect example of the organizational turnover that we're gonna experience has already happened. Uh, not two days after the season ends, the Tigers make a uh, bevy of personnel moves. Scott Coolbaugh, the most notable, I would say, uh, will no longer be the hitting coach. That's a guy that was uh, fair or unfair, like a martyr. For uh for 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 this team and their hitting woes and and AJ to his credit stuck with him and I read your story on the Athletic if you're a subscriber you can read all of Cody's work a lot of great in depth pieces from his time in Seattle, um stuck with him through the year which I thought was fine uh makes some consistent message Mike Hessman offered uh 
minor league role, same thing with Ramon Santiago, and uh, there's a bevy of others, like I said, that we can get to. The most notable that is Scott Coolbaugh. So when A.J. Hinch, you had your sort of exit meeting with him earlier today. We're recording this on a Friday because I'm taking the trip this weekend. Hearing from A.J. Hinch in regards to the personnel, like the coaching personnel moves, uh, what did you kind of take from it? Did Was he... It didn't seem like he was throwing anybody under the bus. It seemed like he was spreading responsibility everywhere, which is fair. Um, but it's no secret that this was a move that had to be made. So how did he kind of balance that? Right. I mean, I think we all saw these moves coming. The the hitting moves especially were not much of a surprise. Um, I had a pretty pretty good idea there would be a bigger staff shakeup beyond that. I wasn't sure exactly what that meant for the base coaches, guys like Ramon Santiago or... Uh, Gary Jones, who's actually going to be returning in some capacity. You know, I think it's not like AJ or really any coach, you know, takes joy in firing people. You're in the trenches with these guys 162 for 162 games. Coaching staffs that usually become friends with each other. Um, I think it was pretty much a business decision. Hey, these guys had to go. I think he felt the staff needed a little bit of a new energy. I think he wants to restructure the staff a little bit. He didn't get into exactly what that looks like, but I think we'll see perhaps a small expansion, some different roles, maybe a game planning type pitching coach, maybe more than just one or two hitting coaches. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, uh, but I think there's going to be a chance to get creative. And for as much as, you know, I love Ramon Santiago, for as much as Josh Paul seemed like, a sharp guy. Those were two coaches he inherited from the Ron Gardenhire era. So in addition to clearly you got to make a change at hitting, um, it, it also provides an opportunity for AJ to get a couple more of his own guys in there. Um, but yeah, he certainly didn't throw anyone under the bus. I'm sure he feels a level of responsibility for, hey, yeah, these guys had to lose their jobs. You know, I even asked, like, do you think Kuba and Hesman actually struggled to get through to your guys this year, or is it just the nature of the game? And you know, he didn't really go there in terms of what could have done, been done differently. Uh, he referenced hitting coaches being the most volatile job in baseball, maybe one of the most volatile jobs in sports, and that's that's definitely true. Um, this is just one of those realities of the game. After a year like this, someone's got to take the fall. Um, if there's another year like this, then you know. It, maybe we're casting some of those on AJ himself, but obviously we're, we're, you know, far from that conversation. I'm rambling now. Point is, you know, it sucks, but it had to happen. It's the business. And I think that's how AJ conveyed it. Yeah. I mean, in my mind, I usually kind of conflate like athletic trainers and hitting coaches sort of in the same light in the sense that there's a level of responsibility that's on them, and then there's also a level of responsibility that they can't control. Uh, and, like, you think about it, baseball is a game of failure. What's the epitome of that? Hitting. So your hitting coach is coaching the failure aspect of the game of failure. You know, it, it's a hard business, and these coaches turn over at a rate that's not necessarily directly related to their skill set all the time. Um, but it, it was just one of those things where you talk about not being able to bring, and he said it, not being able to bring back the same roster. You just couldn't justify bringing back the same uh, hitting staff. 
I'm, uh, also, Cody, in reading your story, uh, got reminded of AJ's pristine ability to just say words that are <laughs> utterly meaningless. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of pursing through some quotes. Uh, he was really at his best today. I didn't even use. There was so much. That, you know, it was like 45 minutes of content. I didn't use most of it. The quotes I did use were kind of the most tangible. And I'm not even, (laughs) AJ's good at it. I'm not even blaming him here. I think a lot of it was like, so what are you going to do next year? Well, we don't know. We just got a new president of baseball ops and we have no idea. So I'm going to frame that in the most articulate way possible to make it seem like we have some sort of plan. Here is the old timer. This, This might be Hall of Fame worthy. Quote, we will be building a staff that may mirror what we've had but it also may expand and be a touch different than what we've been used to. It's like... (laughs) (laughs) That that is a series of words that mean absolutely nothing. Like, it may... I would would put most of my stake in the second part of it. I don't (laughs) know why you include that. I guess he was trying to basically say we're not going to be like Gabe Kapler and the Giants and have 13 people or 16 people. He was trying to say, hey, we'll probably have a little bit of a different look. Uh, well, how, you actually read it out wild like that. Though. Yeah. Well, how do you feel about that? Just like that notion of, and maybe, and maybe just in general, not necessarily specific to the task at hand for the Tigers, because that is a large staff and that is a lot of cooks potentially in the kitchen. And we've seen success from San Francisco. And we've also seen some, I don't, turmoil is not the right word, but you know, some little friction. I guess is maybe what what to call it. And AJ seems like a guy who's collaborative, but he also doesn't seem like he wants the message. Uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He doesn't want to dilute it uh, by having so many yeah. people say it. You know? Yeah, I think it's entirely possible to have too many voices, probably especially in a sport like baseball. At the same time, I think Kapler's talked about like you know student to teacher ratio. You know, you got four or five guys coaching a twenty-six man roster, really a forty-man roster. You almost don't get enough time with everyone there, and it's not quite even like football where you have individual position coaches. I mean, you sort of have an outfield guy and an infield guy, but they're also the the bench coach or also the first base coach. The coaches are juggling a handful of responsibilities. So I think a small addition to some small additions to the coaching staff can absolutely make sense, especially in today's game with how it's changed with the level of preparation. That's why I'm saying I know there's interest in getting like a, a pitching coach who just focuses on game planning against the other team, potentially to allow Chris Fetter to actually spend more time hands-on with his pitchers versus being in there doing the game planning. Um, I think you can probably make similar comparisons for that on the hitting side and you know, in the past, Josh Paul's been the catching coach, but he's also been the quality control coach who does a little bit of everything. Can you just have maybe a catching guy? Um, I, I don't know, but I, I certainly understand that argument. And so then it's how do you strike the balance? Where do you draw the line? I don't know the answer to that. I think Gabe, Gabe Kapler's staff's a little too big. It's kind of funny. Speaking of too big, one could argue that Javi Baez's contract is too big or perhaps too long. And... You wrote about him this week and that like earlier in the week, and then AJ had some little couple of eyebrow raising things to say. Um, one of those things that if certain events happen, we look back on this 
press availability, and if nothing changes, then you know we kind of forget about it. In regards generally to hobby, I'm going to be very curious to see how he approaches. Like, I think you, you can now put him in officially the next chapter of his career. So he's a young up-and-comer. Um, he's an all-star. He's, you know, wins a World Series. He has uh, he goes to New York, he's playing with his best friends, contract year. He gets it right toward the end, signs this big deal with the Tigers, talks about mirroring that with the Cubs time. And let's be honest, overall, it's it's regarded as a disappointment. There are some numbers that you can cling to if you would like that give you more hope than what perception would dictate. But no one's going beyond disappointment. You could argue maybe he's the epitome of the hype and then what followed uh, for the Tigers this year. So there are a couple things uh, that you wrote about that kind of intrigued me. One of them is I'm kind of curious if it's too late for the fans to like really embrace him. Was the first impression too bad? I, that, I would probably say no because I would like to think that people can be moved off based on improvement little things overall team winning you know that kind of stuff but this is a steep hill right and as i referenced earlier going to the next stage is there another version of hobby we know this hobby being hobby thing we've seen it over and over is there another version you touched on leadership is he a guy who can be the voice of the organization maybe not necessarily to the media but just like that the voice in the locker room because he's a guy that has all the intangibles that you would want winning experience uh money contract uh flair popular enough player na- uh nationwide it seems to me from afar he's intrigued i don't know if he wants to that might and that might not just be his personality but it seems to me that he's intrigued and sees this as something that needs to be done because as we've talked about in previous weeks he didn't come here to lose nearly 100 games a year now fast forward to the comments from aj hinch today talking about javi what you know what do you do with him do you is is one of the lanes that you can go to is you sign a shortstop and move him to second base and aj kind of flatly says I think Javi's interested in winning. You pointed out in your article that AJ probably had to figure out how to manage Javi a little bit this year. There's, uh, you know, that he's a challenge personality-wise, play-wise, how you curtail some of this stuff but not by letting him be him. I think there's a way more blank slate of what Javi could be than what we realize. That's my kind of semi-bold prediction. I'm not mm. saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying there are pieces in place, circumstances in place that could, if he chooses to go down this road, he could show he's a team player by moving to second base if they go after like a Swanson or Correa or whatever. Team first player, even though he just signed that big contract and, you know, he obviously I'm assuming he wants to be a shortstop. And if he can take a leadership, more of a leadership role next year, more of a teaching role on how to, how to get these young guys ready to play every day. Because again, I think it is worth repeating: Javi, for all his flaws, is ready to play every day. 
in 162 games, that's not something that I think ought to be glossed over. So I, and if AJ has figured out how to push Javi the right buttons, then maybe year two is a little bit different. And I'm not, you know, and I don't want people to think I'm like overshooting the moon here. I'm just saying like there are circumstances that there is a scenario where you play this out 10 times. I don't know how many times it happens, but there's a scenario where we get another evolution of the intangible version of Javi, where he hasn't, in, in the past, he hasn't ever really had to express himself this way. He's one of the guys in Chicago, and then when Lindor is in New York, you're obviously second fiddle to Lindor, right? Now he, now he's kind of pushed to the forefront, and if he chooses to, he could respond in a way that's going to endear himself to the organization, to the fans, to the city, all things I would, I think he wants, but does he have the wherewithal to go through with it? Because you, north of 30, this is the time to do it, and this is really the only time where you're going to have the opportunity to do it without having been criticized for it. Whereas no one's criticizing him for his lack of leadership now, but if, if he continues down the path he did this year where he's just kind of more of an ISO guy, but you know, quiet and all that stuff, where then, then the page is written. But right now, the page isn't written on that kind of stuff. I think this year was a lot harder for Javi Baez than we will ever know or understand. I do think just being in a new place, a new team, um, a new city was difficult for him. I think he fed off the energy in Wrigley Field and in New York, and then you isolate him in Detroit and the team gets off to a bad start and the crowds are sparse and the, the, the weather's bad and the vibe is negative. I don't think it's surprising that a personality like Javi Baez would struggle in that environment. Um, I also think Javi Baez is a, <laughs> a tremendous topic for podcasts because we could just analyze and discuss this all day and I'm not sure what the right answer is. I think this year is was not quite as bad as it seems again. Look, you can drop splits for any player, but June 16th one, he was the eighth most productive offensive shortstop in the league. It's not bad. You know, granted that means overlooking an absolutely disastrous May. But again, you flip his May into September, the overall numbers are the same. His perception among the fans is probably a lot, lot different. In terms of the leadership thing, man, I don't know. I do think there's a part of Javi that wants to lead but just doesn't know how or isn't really equipped with the right skills. I wonder if it's wrong to ask him to be something he is not. But I think there was a part of him that probably tried at a couple points this year to be something he wasn't. And I don't think that's good for him. I'm not sure that's good for him on the field either. I mean, he's... He's never going to not chase outside the strike zone at a ridiculous rate. Like, that's just not going to happen. Can you... To his credit, he admits that. <laughs> he admits that all the time. It's amazing. Um, you know, could you clean up the errors? Could you clean up some of the just other mental lapses? Yeah. I mean, I, I think you could. I think there are times in Javi's career where uh, he's always ebbed and flowed between these, these two extremes. That's who he is. That's what I've said from the day the Tigers signed him. This is the experience they signed up for. Um, I know AJ tried kind of different managing styles and learned a lot through season's end. I could see from afar that I'm not sure he was hitting the right buttons early on. It does seem like he made a lot of progress. 
maybe that gives me some hope for like what the relationship can hold there in the future. But I think the reality is Javi is, uh, can be a great member of a supporting cast, but maybe just isn't cut out to be the dude, the sole singular face of a team. I think fans, if the Tigers rally and are good next year, will fall in love with him or anybody because people just want to see a winner, especially in this this city. That's all people want. The question of do you move him off shortstop is a whole other fascinating can of worms and you know, AJ was kind of saying the the general stuff he says about Javi, and then I asked, are you committed to him being the shortstop, or could there be other possibilities there? And it was another answer where if you really read the full answer, AJ kind of said everything and nothing at the same time, but having covered AJ, he does tend to drop hints in his answers, I think, and I don't know. This was a chance to be like, to shut it down, to shut down any shortstop rumors, say, no, we have our shortstop. His name's Javi Baez. He didn't, he didn't do that. He very much said, good question. Maybe that's just leaving the door open to all possibilities. I have no indication of how aggressive the Tigers might be in free agency. AJ didn't really go there at all, but he certainly left the door open um, to the idea of bringing in another shortstop, whether that's signing a star like Correa or whether that's somehow acquiring someone else via trade or uh, acquiring someone on the lower end of the market. I have no idea in my gut. I, I mean, I don't know. This is why Scott Harris is getting paid the big bucks in my gut. I think if you're, you really want to run it back next year and try to win, that's the move that makes the most sense. Now, if you just want to plug a few holes with short-term deals and really set your sights a couple years down the line that I think it may involve another roster construction strategy. And a lot of it comes down to how much is Chris Illich willing to spend. I think if you're serious, you want to make the playoffs in 2023, move bias to second, maybe even third and bring in another shortstop. I think that that solves more problems than any other outside acquisition I can think of. So we don't hear about third very often. You think he can play third? He's played third before, you know, he's probably spent more time at second in his career. You can, you know, the throws, I don't know, the throws are probably easier for him at second, but the thing AJ said that wasn't compatible with Javi being at second is he said it doesn't behoove us to move Jonathan Scope off second because he's a gold glover, you know. Uh, so is Jonathan Scope actually back next year? Is the way their way the Tigers could move that contract? Could Scope be a utility guy? Uh, I don't know. I do, I do think those two answers were a little bit incompatible with each other, or unless that was just a, a nice way of saying maybe Scope's not a starter. We're just not ready to tell him that yet. I have no idea. You know, you say, like, AJ says, you know, maybe drops hints every now and then, and he did say that he's had dinners or whatever conversations with scott harris as he should as is uh what building a good business relationship consists of one makes me think if i'm trying to read the lines on some of this stuff like well you can see it already with like the the quote about jonathan scope where it's like you know if he can get what do you say good good with the strike zone or like you know whatever that's obviously you know, the direct direct line from what Scott said in his uh, opening press conference. 
Not that it was rocket science to figure that out, but you know, like the verbiage was basically the same. And to me, there are breadcrumbs in these quotes, Cody. I don't know which they are. I would love for something uh, monumental to happen and then to go back to this press conference and, and kind of pick it out. Oh, that's what he was talking about here. That's what he was talking about there. But I do think there are breadcrumbs because, again, I think part of how he's evaluating the waiting or not evaluating, but speaking on the team is A, obviously you haven't been around them, and B, talking with Scott. Like if you just just started talking with the guy who you're kind of tied at the hip with now, I guess in a way, to get this thing turned around, that's going to rub off on a little bit. And I think some of this stuff has already happened. Uh, has is, Can Sko play third? Can Sko play third? Uh, the, I mean, he's not a rangy guy, but in theory, second's going to require more range. Also, in theory, the limitation of the shift next year has created a little bit of, of concern internally of like, will he be as good at second? So yeah, I think you'd put play scope at third and feel fine about that. Scope's played first before, which was a terrible waste of his abilities, but you know, he's he's played a corner, he can play third for sure. Cuz I'd rather like Does he have the bat for know. third? I, I, not this I year mean, he didn't. Uh, he didn't have the bat for anywhere this year. Yeah, I mean that's true, but if I'm looking at something simple and you got him on that player option which he's going to exercise, like if you sign a shortstop by a second, scope third, I sort of like that iteration better than the others. But we don't have to spend too much time on that. But that, that appeals to me because I do think that he has, I don't know, he kind of looks like a third baseman in a way. You know, he's got a little bit of a little bit of a stockier build. You know, he's a big guy yeah, if you look at it, look I mean, at him. Yeah, he's tall. Doesn't look like Man. a second baseman. Almost looks like too yeah. tall for a third baseman. Looks like a shortstop who gained weight and gotten bigger over time or <laughs> an outfielder who's an infielder i don't know scope's an interesting scope's an interesting athlete he is he is um last thing on the seattle trip we got to hear from Tarek Skubal. um got a little bit of he was able to and then again if you're an athletic subscriber you can you can read this yourself shed some light on what the last couple months and you know the surgery experience was uh be able to gauge his spirits a little bit how how is he doing was you know it's it, it seemed like a nice thing that he was able to come see the team and all that stuff we haven't heard from my since the surgery and i know not i know not everything's the same way but um it seemed like you know it was kind of a nice surprise i didn't know he was going to be there or whatever to see see him around the team and then also talking to y'all i appreciate him for talking talking to the media too yeah, interesting enough, my I wasn't on the trip, but Mize was uh, there when the Tigers went to Texas, and he, he declined interviews, which maybe gives you a hint that maybe he's really, you know, sad that he's coming off surgery. Uh, I have no idea. Scoople seemed to be in pretty good spirits. I'm sure he was glad to just be around his teammates. I know he joked with AJ, like, let me spike up and, like, you know, just, like, get in uniform and be like the 29th man on the roster or something, you know? So he's, <laughs> I think he was just glad to be there. Um, he seemed pretty, you know, in a state of acceptance, I guess. Uh, can kind of talk to oh, how frustrating was it to have your year end like this and, you know, kind of, well, it's frustrating, but it is what it is. You know, I'm going to do what I got to do to be back. Still, no one's given a real timeline on how much time he might miss next season, which is, 
kind of odd, kind of interesting. Uh, I'm still going to guess like June-ish just based on kind of a typical recovery from, from these sorts of injuries. It was good to see Tarek. It was good to just be reminded that, oh yeah, you have this dude in your organization. Even Mai's like, oh yeah, you still got two pretty promising pitchers just kind of waiting to get healthy again and rejoin your team, I think. And those are those are guys who are really good clubhouse guys, very smart, mature dudes. Um, I think good for the overall morale of the team. I think missing Tarek the last couple months and Casey pretty much the entire season. You know, sometimes I wonder, like, how much of an intangible impact did that really have? Because those are, even though they're young guys, probably, you know, two of your leaders, and um, you didn't have Mize all season, and probably the lack of Mize impacted Scooble, and then, then obviously we, you know, we hadn't, didn't see Tarek for the last couple months. What would you have ordered if you could get, like, a rookie athletic writer to uh, to order you Starbucks? What what What, what order would you have given? Oh, I don't know. I, I I don't even order, like, fancy enough coffee to, like, know what a crazy order <laughs> is. So I would have been like, I don't know, just give me a coffee. Pretty simple. <laughs> and I think the rookies would have appreciated you for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm told the bill was only, like, a couple hundred dollars. It wasn't anything too absurd. I just hope, they, is... tipped the, I just hope yeah. they tipped the poor Starbucks employees well. Uh, I can only no, imagine what those like customers were thinking. Like, you uh, if you were watching Akil's live feed, you would see a few customers like, "Oh, this is awesome!" Like trying to get autographs, and then you saw a few people just looking so pissed. Like, I just want a coffee, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'm late to work, yeah. you know, and <laughs> I don't want to be sub. I don't want to be like at the business end of your little prank of professional <laughs> baseball players <laughs> that's one of my one of my co-workers said he's like i would have been pissed oh, i would have not been happy if i were just trying to get a coffee and get out of there yeah <laughs> um by the way i got uh, just a random note um i gotta commend talk about texas real quick i gotta commend the texas rangers fans they where they showed themselves out to be great baseball fans with the Aaron Judge hitting uh, home run number 62. It was re- I happened to be there for a Karen work party. was there to witness, quote-unquote, history. Tell us yeah. about that. Well, it was like the... You witnessed the seventh most home runs seventh of most. all time. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. Uh, like I said, it's a group of us, and in, we all love sports memorabilia. And uh, we actually had physical tickets, which, yeah, as you know, in today's era is you know relatively rare. And... Uh, this one coworker I have, she's she's not really that into sports or whatever. So she sold her ticket before the game uh, to a guy in our party. We were already at our seats uh, for twenty bucks. Nice. And and then the first at bat, the third pitch, he hits the home run. And uh, and I was like, Sarah, like you should have at least given it one at bat because <laughs> like if he hits the home run, you could have gotten at least fifty from the guy. <laughs> You know, like, because those are going to sell for a decent amount sure. of change, to be honest, you know. So I was like, you could have at least given it a little bit of time. You used up all your leverage. Uh, but, yeah, it was fun. It was great to see. I posted a video of him uh, rounding the bases. I didn't want to do that thing where I wasn't watching it. And so I'm, like, you know, doing the, you know, video and then cancel and then video and then delete, you know. But So I watched the home run and I saw, like, you know, his trot and, you know, the crowd shots or whatever. It was pretty cool, so... It was neat. Worked out. We had had that uh, event planned for two months. And so we were like, oh, it could happen. I'll tell you what. During uh, 
my work day in the office, I was listening to the game on the radio because it was a doubleheader. And Aaron Judge had a, a routine fly ball to right field. But John Sterling on the call was, it is high, it is caught uh, in right field. <laughs> and I was like, because I was about to, because, you know, it would have been a huge damper for him to hit the home run that day. But the, the game before, <laughs> that would have sucked. So congrats to Aaron Judge. We're not getting into real records or anything like that. But it was still a nice, you know, moment. Who knows? Next time we'll get 60 home runs. And, by the way, he'd look really good in a Tigers uniform. So, we'll see We'll we'll, we'll see what happens there. <laughs> All right, Cody. Well, we know momentum is not a real thing season to season. But there were a couple things that happened uh, over these last handful of games that I'm curious how often they will happen again and I put them all together and I wanted to just kind of get your take so the three things are Akil Badu batting leadoff Ryan Kreidler getting some innings in center field or Cody Clemens pitching now obviously that happened throughout the season but what's going to happen more Akil Badu batting leadoff Ryan Kreidler getting some spots in center, or Cody Clemens pitching? I think most likely would be Akil Badu batting leadoff. That's obviously best case scenario. You got to hope Akil uh, performs well enough to, number one, be on the major league roster next year. Number two, be able to bat at the top of the order. I think if we're talking what's most likely, I think Kreidler in center field is kind of stupid. <laughs> like, I, like, I, like I get versatility or whatever. I guess there's no harm to like have him be capable of it. But that's another thing that in an ideal world you're just not having to do because he's playing well and playing the infield, and you have outfielders playing the outfield. And uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, ideally you just don't do that. Cody Clemens. I mean, I think ideally he's not on your 26 man roster. I, I know that's harsh, but unfortunately, I think that's the truth. I'm not sure if yeah. he's even on your 40-man roster. I think uh, if Cody Clemens is on your 26-man roster next year, that probably means you have had a ton of injuries again. And if he's pitching, that means you are getting destroyed <laughs> again. And so that is all bad. I think really only one of those scenarios is good, and that's a keel batting leadoff. And I would also probably say that's the most likely of those scenarios to occur. We haven't talked about Kreidler in a bit. Is there what? What are our takeaways for Kreidler? Yeah, it was. It, it wasn't a huge sample, so I don't want to read sure. too much into it. But he he certainly struggled, and really he struggled all year. Even in AAA, it's not like he was tearing it up this year. I think the injuries, you know, a hand injury, then a groin injury. I think he never really got going. Probably wouldn't have been promoted if it weren't for what he did last year, the reputation he had earned as as a good player, as a possible future piece. He never really got going in Toledo. And then he, man, he struggled at the dish at the major league level. You know, liked the defense a lot, liked a lot of, you could tell he's a high IQ ball player. Um, but unfortunately, looked like a guy who probably has to spend some time in AAA and get himself going again next year. Uh, disappointing, but I kind of just chalk it up to all the injuries for him. I think it was a, just a difficult 
year, his short sample in the big leagues was enough to be like, oh yeah, there were a lot of scouts who were never sold on him being an everyday player based on his bat, and, and maybe we got a little taste of that. There was a decent amount of chase, there was a lot of swing and miss, um, but I think next year we'll give some more accurate gauge on Kreidler. I know it's not apples to apples, but Kreidler and Carpenter, do who do we kind of project not better i don't really care about better right now but who do we project as maybe having more staying power just for next season in the major leagues that's a good question um obviously carpenter has more of the results to to back you know he hit well all year at every level and his wrc plus in the majors was above 100 he showed a little bit of pop he hit the ball pretty well he played better in left field than a lot of people thought he was going to. That said, so I don't know, maybe like maybe at some point we just got to stop doubting Kerry Carpenter. That said, he can't hit the ball to the opposite field. He Is he really going to hit like 30 homers in the big leagues? That's kind of a tough sell. His defense might be serviceable, but I don't think it's a plus tool. And what I think really hurts him is that he's a left-handed bat. And your outfield is full mm-hmm. of these lefties, green, meadows, you know. If it comes down to Badu or Carpenter, assuming you add a right-handed outfield bat somehow, um, you know, maybe that's that's kind of what you're looking at. I, I just think that hurts the viability of him getting playing time again. I'm, I guess guys are probably going to get hurt, I think, overall. Kreidler, he's a little more versatile, has a little more of a diverse skill set. If he can hit a little bit, I think there's going to be a spot for him on the roster, whereas Carpenter is going to have to really hit to to even get that opportunity. Yeah, uh, tough road ahead, um, just in terms of bodies in front of you. But, yeah. you know, credit to uh, him. I, I, he had a terrific year, proved people wrong all year, mm-hmm. proved people wrong in his, his short stint in the majors. So, um a, a win to know that you're going into spring and you get to take a long look at Kerry Carpenter. Like that is a, that is a, a plus that no one would have guessed this time a year ago. Yeah. And just in general, those are the kind of pluses you need in order to mm-hmm. round out your roster in order to take the next step. So I bring up those guys for a rather specific reason. We tend, we don't, on this show, we compliment Dan Dickerson a lot, but we don't talk about Matt Shepard a lot because, like, there's... I don't know. I'm just not really in the business of trying to, like, put some audio bite out there for, like, someone to bring his attention and then he, like, you know, criticizes, like, our podcast or, you know, gets mad at you or whatever, you know. But the bottom line is he's not the most popular guy on Tiger's Twitter. Like, that's... that's That is fair, I believe, to say. So... He had a moment this week as uh, in the post-game show after the, the last game of the season where the host, and I'm sorry, I forget who was hosting the post-game show, was asking him and, and, and Petrie and Jack, what were, you know, how do you kind of set the expectations for 2023? And I don't know what Jack's answer was. Petrie, I thought, gave a well-reasoned answer as pretty much everything Dan Petrie says is well thought out, well-reasoned, and 
I would say, generally speaking, hard to disagree. I find Dan Petrie awesome. I hope he gets more opportunities uh, uh, doing games on a regular basis, not just studio stuff. So after Petrie talks, and you guys haven't seen this, I mean, if you just search Matt Shepard on Twitter, this will come up. After Petrie talks, Shepard, you could tell, because I watched this video like five times. I've looked at his body language throughout, and he's, you know, kind of nodding with Petrie, and you could tell that he's, he's about to give his piece, you know? And he gets on there, and he immediately says, I'd like to respectfully disagree with uh, my friend Dan Petrie. And he goes on to say that the expectations for the 2023 Detroit Tigers, 2023, we just witnessed near 100 lost season, 2023 Detroit Tigers, they should expect to make the playoffs. He called, and I'm just going to kind of paraphrase and direct quote as best I can, and then we'll kind of un- unwind it a little bit he called the tigers a proud franchise an original member of the american league four world series championships but none since 1984 he cites uh the winning track record world series and divisional championships of the cardinals of the dodgers of the braves um as like the standard he says that the bar has to be set higher regarding the Tigers, and he says, we and the organization need to stop thinking that good players are great and great players are icons because the bar is too low. And that's something that we, like I said, we'll, we'll, get, we'll piece it, unpiece this in a second. And he kind of repeated that the bar um, is too low. So, as I often do on this podcast... I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth because I think there's stuff in here that is true. And I think there's stuff in here that is too short-sighted thinking. So I'll start out with, yes, obviously I agree the Tigers are a proud franchise with a tradition of winning that is something I'm proud of as a Tigers fan. All right, the amount of Hall of Famers from from Cobb to K-Line, Greenberg, Geringer, you know, even the guys that aren't Hall of Famers like Willie Horton and, you know, the 84 team, you know, Gibson, Morris, you know, Trammell, Whitaker, all those guys. Even Cecil Fielder, you know, as I shared on the very, uh, on our pilot episode of this podcast, uh, when I was in Little League, I, not even Little League, when I was in T-Ball, I had a wood bat it was a Cecil Fielder signature model wood bat for t-ball um so I do agree that this is a proud franchise the charter member of the American League it's like okay cool you know that's probably not really anything that anybody cares about now sort of like the American League home run record but I understand what he's getting at I understand what he's getting at with with that Where I think it's short-sighted is to put the expectation to make the playoffs in 2023. I just feel like that's not being mindful of the process that it takes to build a franchise infrastructure of the teams that he cited. The Dodgers, 
the Cardinals, the Braves. I mean, they're in their own stratosphere, but, you know, the Yankees are a part of that. The Yankees are basically never bad, right, in our lifetime. I would love to say that the expectation is to make the playoffs for the 2023 Tigers, but I don't know how, like, how do I grab things for my side of the argument? There's not much for me to grab there. I believe that that should be the goal to perennially make the playoffs, like under Scott Harris's direction, AJ Hinch's direction, and the player development, and this, that, the other thing. But I don't know if it's really healthy to put that on the 2023 team when, again, one of the things that Petrie had said was it's hard to really give a, a real litany of expectations when we don't know what moves are going to be made. And let's just say the Tigers are kind of stuck in a way, whether it's free agents don't want to come to Detroit or, you know, you try to make, you know, you, it takes you to tangle. You, need, you want to trade somebody, you know, someone's got to agree to it or, you know, whatever. You know, the injuries and all these things kind of get in your way. We've talked about on this podcast a lot about how 2023 could be a wash. And that's a very real possibility. You can't expect to make the playoffs with a team as presently constructed. You just can't because it's not a playoff team. And so I liked that he kind of came out and said that in a way because it's not the typical way of, like, the play-by-play guy. And one of the things that you can't criticize Matt Shepard for is his lack of passion. Like, he's very passionate about the Tigers. He's passionate about Detroit sports. I believe he's a Michigan guy, like, University of Michigan guy, I think. Uh, So I, I, I assume I don't watch Michigan stuff, but I assume that he's, you know, passionate about the University of Michigan. I like that in a broadcaster. But I... I just think that that was a short-sighted view to say that this needs to be the expectation to make the playoffs in 2023. I think you got to give at least one offseason to kind of get the Harris regime's feet wet, and then you can kind of assess a little bit. And I think a realistic goal would be sort of what we thought coming into this year, where it's like, hey, some things go right, other teams hit a skid here or there. We'll see. Let's just try to be in position. Let's just try to be in position to make a run if we can. But the to put, like, make the playoffs, I thought, was too much. I, I And I would probably also say unfair to kind of put that on Scott, who comes in as a first-time GM with a roster that and, and an organizational structure that has holes in a variety of areas, a lot of which we don't see or even fully understand. So that's kind of my spiel. I like the fact that he's thinking that way in the sense that like the Tigers in general ought to operate in that fashion. However, as it currently stands, I just don't know if that's the right view to take. Now, I don't want to say not the right view to take because that I'm not trying to say he's like wrong, quote unquote. But I don't know if that's the best view to take going into next year. I just think there's way too many things that need to happen. I'm not saying we, 
you know, I, I agree with Scott. There's no like a one year plan, two year plan, three year plan, five year plan, whatever. But expect to make the playoffs is a standard of which the players are not playing to. There's not. Maybe they will next year. Maybe bring in somebody else and, you know, the bar raises. But as currently constructed, there's no way you can say expect to make the playoffs. I think that's unfair to the uh, leadership of the team, especially as they try to bring in their own guys, coaching, scouting, performance science, you know, biomechanics, and like all these things. There's a lot of work to be done. And I feel like if you say expect to make the playoffs is when you start making short-sighted moves that have long-term impacts that are detrimental to your franchise. And we've seen that from the Tigers over the past six years. So that's kind of my spiel, Cody. Um, you, you have uh, you have anything about my response to Mr. Shepard? Uh, that was a long spiel. I think I liked the sentiment of his message. I did not like it coming from Shep because I don't think anyone has spent as much time painting good players to be great or I would say subpar players to be good as probably Matt Shepard. And granted, I know it's hard when you are – more or less a team employee and you're the play-by-play guy but I think yeah. part of the reason Shep isn't regarded as popular sometimes it can be a little hard to take him seriously uh, there can be a lot of sugarcoating or worse than that just like kind of unrealistic takes on players on the broadcast uh, so it seemed like he must have been holding this in all season and it, it came out after the final yeah. game uh, don't hate his passion. I'm always in favor of people having high standards and high expectations for for everything they do. Um, I think generally probably 500 should be a goal for almost every team every year. I think it is possible to construct a 500 team. You were only four games under 500 last year. Everything that could possibly go wrong went wrong this season. Really makes you wonder if this team's anywhere close to the playoffs. But a couple things go right, a couple good additions. You can be a respectable baseball team, and I think you should almost always aim for that. I do think, um, you know, 98 losses, 98 losses, 114 losses, 96 losses. I think this long of a stretch of bad baseball is pretty unacceptable. I think seven years of the Alavila regime, I think that went on too long. I think generally a complete tear down to the bolts. Uh, you're really risking it. It better work if you're going to do that. And it didn't fully work. The Tigers didn't come out of that with the world's greatest farm system and the uh, pristine analytics department. And they're just not the Astros. So I think expectations should be high. I think standards should be there. I think there should be a winning culture and all that good stuff. You, you also almost look a little ridiculous when you start saying playoffs for a team that just lost 96 games and had the worst offense in the league. Things change quickly in this sport. I'm not going to set expectations because, as Dan Petrie astutely pointed out, we don't have a damn clue what the roster is going to look like. We were sitting here speculating on that, and we don't know anything. No one really knows except Scott Harris, and he has not shared those visions with the public yet. So that's where I stand on all this. Good sentiment, Shep. I don't know. If that's how Shep really feels, I, I hope he would do his best to convey that more authentically on a more consistent basis. Yeah, and 
you made a good point there in the sense that, and I say this with the full acknowledgement that that's really part of the job, especially, especially in Detroit. Maybe if it was New York or Boston, it's a little bit different. Those are different kind. Those yeah, are different cultures. I'm not saying those he are, should be on there, you know. Yeah, uh, taking down players on the team broadcast, but okay. Well, I mean, Dan Dickerson's a great example. Dan Dickerson has a great eye for the game. He talks generally positively about players, but very realistically about who they are, what their skill set is, mm-hmm. basically what their overall level of talent is. There's a way to 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 do that, and uh, Dan Dickerson does it really well. Matt Shepard, uh, not so much, in my opinion. Yeah, and. And in regards to, like, the team moving forward, you know, the it, it's hard for me to really try to compare the Dodgers to the Tigers because there's just, there are diff- the circumstances are just different, all right? Yeah. Like, the, the Dodgers have had a more pristine history dating back to Brooklyn. I mean, that's yeah. just a fact, yeah. right? And and then they have ownership that basically decided, well, we have no budget. Now, more credit to them. And they've also been able to balance that with developing guys left and right without having high draft picks. That's awesome. That's like the perfect balance. The Yankees, like as I said, have done a good job of always being... They've always done a good job of being one of the better teams in the league, Right. Their down years aren't that bad. We we would all take the da- New York Yankee down years right now uh, in Detroit. You brought up when we were talking about Scott Harris. You brought up Cleveland. Cleveland's a nice like goal uh, of, of an organizational flow and and an mo of how to build a consistent winner. I just you know St. Louis would also be an, a, another one, but again St. Louis has. They've been doing this longer, so like you, you just can't compare, in my opinion, infrastructure already in place for all these things that we want to having to build it, which is where the Tigers are right, right now, right. So, and that's where I almost see his point. I think that infrastructure is not in place because the standards were too low for way too long. That's yeah, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, they they were too low. I'm guilty as anybody of hoping that guys that I want to be good become good players, you know, and I am also guilty of believing and playing out your process. Like I believe, I don't, I don't believe in abandoning ship just because as a spur of the moment decision which is typically what a lot of fans want right uh that's basically all twitter is just rash reactions to anything and everything on this planet but to do this the right way i do believe takes time and i'm a big believer in the phrase anything worth doing is worth doing right and the right way to build an organization is not with band-aids it's not with just throwing you like if you want to talk about like pretending players are good, the good players are great. That's essentially what free agency is. Signing hobby buyers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that's a, yep. like because that's what every fan wants is to go out and spend money. 
and I get it because you don't the, the worst thing you could have is cheap ownership. Like that's the worst thing you could have as a fan is cheap ownership. So I get the spending money, the desire to for the owners to spend money. But that's also the epitome of pretending that okay players are good and good players are great and I don't I would be shocked. I would be absolutely shocked if he was thinking of this when he said it. But if you're going to talk about great players and icons and you're going to throw those terms around, is he kind of wanting Miguel Cabrera to retire or to like part ways? I, mean, I, I think Miguel Cabrera should retire, and I think he's also an icon. And Miguel Cabrera's an icon. He's an iconic player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I'm saying like, but like the whole pretending thing is like if we if we pedal out Miguel yeah, I don't, Cabrera. I don't know what that was in reference to. That was interesting. I don't know who else is being equated as an icon. I don't think you could like dispute. His status, though, has not come on. Right? No, no, I'm not disputing the status. What I'm saying is that, like, if you're talking about... If you're going to throw around the term icon, there's only one candidate on this team. That's Miguel Cabrera. So are we still... Are we trying to pretend he's still the player that made him an icon? It's sort of some how people, I was... I think, I think some people are, yeah. Okay, so I'll, well, I'll, I, if that's what Shepman, I'll agree with him on that. Well, like, I would be impressed if that's what he was referencing, yeah, is what I'm saying. Because that's not something you would expect from the TV announcer. No. So, all very interesting. All very interesting. Um, it, it came out of left field for me, him saying that. And I don't know if he's ever been more popular on Twitter than when he immediately, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> than when he uh, immediately said that. So, okay, Cody. Uh, anything else you kind of wanted to get into? I know we got a bevy of things we can do. In the off season, I don't want to. I don't want to use up all our all our pitches yet. But yeah, uh, sorry if this pod was like rambly and vague. That's a little bit what AJ's like end of year wrap up was like. <laughs> um, so that's probably why this pod might have reflected it. Hopefully, we'll get some more tangible info as this off season goes along. We'll have GM meetings in Vegas in early November, winter meetings in early December. We will have a lot more to reflect on and to look forward to. Um, I'm going to spend some time doing a lot of my own research on what actual possibilities could we be looking at in terms of shaping next year's team. Um, so I hope you will stay with us this offseason. We'll even try to bring back uh, maybe some College chron- Chronicles this offseason, maybe? Well, yeah, I think we should, number one. And just a little programming note, we won't have a podcast pending something crazy happening. We won't have a podcast next week. Cody and I are going to be in New Orleans for our buddy Tim, the Uber driver, our college buddy's uh, bachelor party. So we'll, we'll put out some Twitter content. You'll see a little bit of you know how we're experiencing uh, Bourbon Street and everything else New Orleans has to offer. But we'll probably come back with some, uh, it's not College Chronicles, but maybe some Bachelor Party Chronicles. How's yeah. that sound? Perfect. I think that people would appreciate that. So uh, make sure to follow Cody on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our pod page is at Turn Corner Pod. Subscribe to The Athletic if you have not done so already. There's a lot in the works over there. Please subscribe, rate, and review Apple, Spotify, five stars if you feel so inclined. I want to congratulate Cody. I want to congratulate myself. I want to congratulate everybody for making it through a season that was astronomically tougher than we had hoped or certainly expected and i do believe 
in the leadership, I do believe in the process laid out at by Scott Harris. I can't wait to see get a little glimpse about how he's going to build this team because I I'm, I I think there's a lot of possibilities out there and we'll continue to speculate until something's real and then when it's real, we'll analyze it because that's what we do here at Turn the Corner. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody have an amazing week.